0: Good morning. Welcome to Awaken Church. Happy Memorial Day weekend. It is good to have you all here. For those of you who don't know me, I am Frank. I am one of the pastors that serve here at Awaken Church. And as you can see from our banners here, we decided to go a little bit more global You know, some churches would go the easy route, and they'd start off with something simple like Spanish or, you know, Chinese or something like that. But we decided Awaken needed a challenge, so we decided to go Slavic. So it is more specifically Bulgarian. So to my left here, that word is shine, and the quotation right over here is a verse from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, that says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen on you. So you think I can read that. I really can't. Um, what's been really cool, as it happens, our, host, our church is hosting a Bulgarian church conference here Friday, Saturday, and then tonight. So it's been exciting having them here. And when you think about having the Bulgarian church conference here, along with uh, the Church of Gerizim that meets in our space every Sunday... Uh, ironically, except for this one, who's a Honduran church. Our church really is going more multi-ethnic and multicultural, and that is exciting. And what's even cooler than that is despite our language differences, despite the different backgrounds we might have, what binds us together is Jesus. Which brings us to what we're going to be going through teaching-wise this summer. Over the course of this summer, our church is going to be going through three teaching series, all centered around Jesus. And I know what some of you guys might be thinking, you might be thinking, well, what have you been teaching on before this? If it hasn't been Jesus, right? Isn't are all of our teachings supposed to be about Jesus? And so I was, I was reading, uh, not reading, I read this story a number of years ago, but I just thought it was really cool. Some of you have heard it. It's uh, about a Sunday school teacher. And the Sunday school teacher had a young class of kids in her room, and she was going through a topic, uh, teaching a topic to the kids on being prepared. And so as an illustration point for being prepared, she decided to ask her kids and say, I'm going to describe something, and when you figure out what I'm talking about, I want you to raise your hand. And all the kids are like, you know? And so she starts off by saying this thing lives in trees there's a pause no one's raising their hand she's like okay likes to eat nuts another pause go elijah that's good and then uh it's usually brown and gray and kids were still not raising their hand and she's getting a bit puzzled and she's like okay um and has a long bushy tail and finally, one little boy just kind of tentatively raises his hands, and uh, she's like, all right, tell us what the answer is. And she's like, I know the answer's supposed to be Jesus, but that sure sounds like a squirrel to me. So, so I don't know if that was really funny or not, but I appreciate the, the courtesy laugh. I just wanted to share that story because this is what it sometimes feels like when we're in church for a while, right? It's like all of the answers are supposed to be Jesus. Everything that we talk about is supposed to be Jesus, and yes, that is true, but I'll share, and I don't want to speak for every church, I'll just speak for us. Oftentimes when we talk about talking about Jesus, what we're really doing is talking about what Jesus wants us to do, how Jesus might want us to act, how Jesus wants us to live. And that's a good thing. We're not trying to minimize that at all. That is definitely an essential part of understanding what it is to be a Christian. It's important. We can't forget that. But we also can't forget that the reason why, first and foremost, the, the central premise of the Christian faith is that we've been created, first and foremost, for relationship and not work. And in that relationship, So this past week we had, the past two weeks, we had a marriage tune-up here at church that we hosted for young couples or couples in general, and then last week we had an Awakened date night where we watched kids, and the Awakening crew did a fantastic job watching kids so that... Couples could drop their kids off and go out and, and hopefully not think about abandoning them, right? So And then they came back, and what they found, these young couples found, hopefully as they're going through the little exercises that we gave them, is that in relationship, knowing is more important than doing. For those of you who have been on a date before or who are in a relationship, you know that the best relationships require both doing and knowing, but they're related, right? They're not independent ideas. My doing, the things I do in relationship, is based on how well I know you. So for an example, with my wife, I could spend hours upon hours, a lot of time putting in a lot of work, preparing for the best camping trip ever known to man and decide that my wife and I were going to go on a private camping trip. But that would not mean much to my wife because she hates camping. And so she is an indoorsian, not an outdoorsian. And I know that. And because I know that about my wife, I would not spend the effort trying to put together a camping trip for us to enjoy. So you see, if you can understand that, then you're like, yes, knowing drives what we do. And so this summer, what we're going to do as we spend this summer talking about Jesus, our focus is going to be on knowing more than doing. Now, there's always going to be some doing. When you get to know someone, obviously there's some action that comes as a result from that. But knowing helps what we do become more natural and intuitive. And that's how we're going to be focusing this summer. Finally, before we jump in, I also want to say one more thing, that uh, this summer, I know it's been a while, but we're going to be bringing back our Awaken Q&A. So for those of you who have not experienced what our Awaken Q&A is, basically what we do is during the course of the sermon, if there are any questions, comments, thoughts, insights that you might have. I want you to text them to awakenqa at gmail.com. They'll be on every single one of our slides. And at the end of our time, we'll take about five minutes or so and tackle however many of those that we might have. So any thoughts, insights, questions you might have? If I see you texting during the course of the service, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that you're texting something to awaken QA. So everyone clear on where we're going this summer? Fantastic. Then let's dive in, and where we're going to dive in is we're going to begin in the Gospel of John. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. It's also the fourth gospel. The gospels are the stories of Jesus. It was the latest one written, but there's a reason why I think it's important that we start with John, the Gospel of John, and that's because at the last, or in John chapter 20, what he shares is the reason for why this gospel is written. And in John chapter 20, He shares, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written, in other words, the things that we observed and write down in this book, these have been written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The Gospel of John was written for the purpose of helping Christians continue to believe. Helping Christians more deeply know Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and in knowing and believing Jesus, experience the power and the life that comes from his name. That is the purpose for the book of John being written, so that the world might believe in him. So... This book of John is where we're going to start off our summer of knowing Jesus. This is where we're going to begin. So if you want to follow on PowerPoint, that's fine. If you've got your own Bibles, flip back to John chapter 1, because that's where we're going to start. John chapter 1, and the first two verses say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That seems like a pretty straightforward couple of verses, but there's a lot of theology and a lot of deep ideas that are tied to this about Jesus in these first few verses, so much so that one of the church fathers that you might have heard of, his name is John Calvin, wrote in the 16th century of these first verses, not just these two, but the first passages of the book of John and the gospel of John, and he writes, these verses say so much more than our minds can take in. These verses say much more than our minds can take in. So if you understand that we're just gonna scratch the surface of it this morning, I wanna take some time to unpack just starting with these two verses. In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? For those of you who have picked up a Bible or read a Bible, especially if you started in the beginning in the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, starts the exact same way, in the beginning. That is not an accident, John does this very intentionally because he's deliberately, he's deliberately starting with the same words as Genesis 1-1 because he's making a tie in his story about Jesus in the same place. In other words, it's the same starting point. Jesus isn't a new story. He's the same story author that was there in the very beginning. In another version of the Bible, in the New English Bible, that first verse reads this way. When all things began, the word already was. Jesus was there in the very beginning. He's not a newcomer introduced to the story. He was there before anything and any of us were created. And so who is this word, right? It says, when all things happened, the word already was. For those of you who read John, the secret's out. But if you haven't read John or haven't gone through it recently, the word that John is talking about is Jesus. And in verse 14, 13 verses later, he gives this big reveal when he shares, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So what John is saying is, I am talking about Jesus, but I'm naming him the word. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What is John starting off by declaring? He's saying, in the beginning, there was God. There was God the Son. There was no sin. There was no corruption. There was no spiritual war. There was no battle between good and evil. There is simply God. So I want you to keep, I want to keep those two verses up there, and I just want to say These verses reveal two things about Jesus. The first thing it reveals that I don't want you to miss is it reveals Jesus' relationship with God. John is saying, theologically, what is being declared is that Jesus was there in the very beginning with God. And not only was Jesus there in the very beginning with God, Jesus is God. And I know that seems kind of mysterious. For Christians, this is called the mystery of the Trinity. And the mystery of the Trinity is that God is one God existing eternally in three persons, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for some of you who are a bit younger in the faith and you're like, that sounds confusing, don't worry about it. It is confusing for those of us who have been Christians for a very long time as well. We don't have time to flesh out how this theology of the Trinity works, I just want you to know this. John, in writing this gospel, is not interested in having you know how great a teacher Jesus was. He's not, his main interest is not for you to recognize that Jesus is some anointed prophet. Jesus is writing this gospel so that his readers would know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Or term, God, he is God incarnate. And the reason why he wants his audience, the people who read this gospel, to realize that is because he wants the readers of this gospel to have the same response to Jesus that the 12 disciples had when they saw him, especially post-resurrection, when they cried out, my Lord and my God. That's one of the reasons why John writes these first two verses the way he does, because you want you to understand Jesus' relationship to God is that he is, and he is worthy of our worship. Second is he wants us to understand in these verses Jesus' relationship with us. In the beginning was the word. Have you thought about why john chose to write and describe jesus that way why didn't he just say in the beginning there was jesus in the beginning was the word so why would he choose to use this word ha, ha ha to describe jesus right of of the word and the most honest answer is that nobody really knows because the bible doesn't tell us why john intended to write this way but remember john is writing for the purpose of people knowing jesus so I'm going to throw this idea out there. It's not a unique idea, just my idea, but I'm just going to throw this because this is what makes the most sense to me. I think the reason why John chooses to refer to Jesus as the word is because John's trying to make clear that what Jesus speaks and what is God's truth are one and the same. What Jesus speaks and what is God's truth is one and the same. Jesus is not simply a witness to the truth. Jesus is not simply a proclaimer of the truth. He is the truth. This is what John says in, in, uh, or sorry, what Jesus says in John 14 when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so I want you to know, Jesus doesn't say, I'm a guide to the truth, or I will lead you to the truth, or I will reveal the truth. He says, I am. And for those of you familiar with the Old Testament, that's how God describes himself. When Moses says, what shall I tell Israel your name is, what did God say? He says, I am. And that's what Jesus is declaring here. So recently, this past week, it could have been the week before, uh, I was having a conversation with some newfound friends, and we were just talking, I don't even remember how the conversation got up, but we were talking about our names, and I guess we're talking about middle names, and I was like, uh, yeah, you know, I don't have a middle name, I have two first names, which was kind of a weird idea. So my first name, my first first name, I don't know if I would say that, but one of my first names is Frank, that's the name that most of you all know me as, and my other first name is Liu jinhao They're both me, you understand. Just because the name is different doesn't mean I'm different. So, But I will say that people who know me as Frank see me a little bit differently than people who know me as Liu Junhao. So people who know me as Frank primarily know me for who I am. I'm a father. I'm a friend. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm a counselor. I'm a dork that loves comic books and likes to play imaginary games and tell stupid dad jokes. Right? That's Frank. That's the Frank that you guys know. But then those who know me primarily as Liu Junhao, they know me in the context of who my parents are. So. If you understand the Chinese culture, in the Chinese culture, the last name is spoken first. That's why it's Liu. That's just my last name, Liu. And then Junhao is my identifying, quote-unquote, first name. In the Chinese culture, the last name always comes first because family trumps the person. And so when those of you who know me as Frank... Most of you don't really know my parents very well, and even if you know my parents, when you think of me, when you talk to me, you don't think, it doesn't really matter who my parents are to you. But if you know me as and how, the first thing that matters is who my parents are and who my family is. Does that make sense? Two different names, two different ideas and contexts, same person. And so hopefully understanding that will help you understand what John is doing here in this book. John is saying he's writing this gospel to an audience, to a people who know Jesus. And when they're thinking about Jesus, they're like, we know Jesus. Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus the healer, Jesus the one who came to minister, our redeemer, Jesus our Messiah, and and Jesus the one who has rescued us from sin, Jesus the one we touched, we saw firsthand, secondhand, heard about in some way, shape, or form. But what a number of us are missing and what John's concern is, is yes, that is Jesus, but I don't want you to miss that Jesus is also the word. He is life, he is way, he is truth. That Jesus guy, people can love Jesus and people can hate Jesus. People can embrace Jesus and people can dismiss Jesus because Jesus is a person. And so you can hate a person, you can like a person, you can love a person, but the word is more than a person. The word just is, like gravity, If you're standing atop of the Empire State Building and you decide that you don't want to believe in gravity and you jump, you understand it doesn't matter whether you believe in gravity or not. Gravity is gonna do what gravity does and you're gonna end up on the pavement. Nobody walks around saying, oh yeah, I love gravity or I hate gravity. No one debates, you know, gravity's really cool. No, he's not very cool or it's not very cool. No one has these debates because we all understand gravity is something that just is. And that's what John is saying here that yes, Jesus has this personhood, but the word he's also just is. He is. And whether you love him or don't love him, whether you believe in him or don't believe in him, you're not going to change the nature of who. He is. And John says that these two ideas coming together gives us a fuller picture of who Jesus is. And that's what he says in John 14, or 1.14, that Jesus is what? He is the word become flesh. He is God. He is an unstoppable force. Jesus is truth. He is life. And he is way. And nothing we believe or don't believe about him, nothing we do or don't do with him, nothing we say or don't say about him, the way we embrace him or don't embrace him, none of that changes who Jesus is. And John says, don't miss that. So that's the first two verses. We'll continue on in verse three, I know. Three through five. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. These following verses talk a bit more about what the word does. And so before we jump in and dive into a bit more of this idea of what the word does, I want us to understand how powerful the spoken word is. One uh, speaker and author, his name is Yehuda Berg, someone I'm sure all you've heard of before, he, uh, he shares this about the spoken word. He says, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively, with words of encouragement, or destructively using words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. So if we return to Genesis chapter 1, which again John is making this link between John 1 and Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the way God brought creation into being is through the spoken word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God didn't go around messing and putting molecules. He just said he spoke it, and it was. He said, let there be space between the waters, and there was then space between the waters. It happened because God spoke it. Let lights appear in the sky, and boosh you know, the stars, the moon, the suns, all, they just showed up. In God's world, is different than us, right? We want something to appear. We have to imagine it. We have to build it. We have to work at it. In God's world, what he desires, what he wants, he simply speaks and it becomes into being. So, returning to verses three through five, in these three verses, John is sharing here how Jesus is the source of creation. Everything that exists, exists because of Jesus. That's why it's important for you to know that he was there in the beginning, because everything that has been made, Jesus is the source. Jesus is life. Everything that is living owes its breath owes its blood, owes its chlorophyll to Jesus. He is the source of life. Jesus is the light of men, shining in the darkness, even though the darkness does not fully understand. This idea that the world has darkness in it, maybe even a lot of darkness in it, shouldn't be any surprise to any of us. Just recent news. Harvey Weinstein was arrested yesterday. It's about time. Lava still spewing in Hawaii, destroying homes. Uh, There's another school shooting this past week. Uh, talks with North Korea have broken off. I mean, we can go on and on. There's a number of things that are challenging. It shouldn't be surprising to any of us that we live in a world with a lot of darkness. And what John is saying here is in the midst of that darkness, Jesus is the light. And not only is Jesus the light, there is no amount of darkness that can quench A light that no matter how much darkness may try can never quench. And this is why Jesus is our savior and this is why Jesus is our hope. So, I know we just launched our series today. I know it's been a long time since we've done a waking Q&A, so it's totally okay if at the end of this we don't have any questions, comments, or thoughts because you guys are just kind of really blown away easing into Memorial Day weekend. But if you do have any questions or thoughts or comments you want to make, just go ahead and text them to awakenqa at gmail.com now, and I'll go ahead and plan to have a minute or two, if there are any, to go ahead and tackle that. So that being said, as you're texting and all that fun stuff, I want to close with this idea. John chapter 1 is fascinating. We've only gone through the first five verses. I don't know if you have John 1 readily in your heads. I'm assuming most of you don't. But what happens right after these first five verses is that John tells us the story of John the Baptist. And it's really cool because John describes, the author John, describes John the Baptist as coming as the voice in the wilderness who cries out, Behold the Lamb of God. And I didn't know if you caught it. I didn't even catch it. But going through this, I was like, oh, that's really neat what the author John did, right? He, saw, he identified John the Baptist as the voice introducing the word to the world. Isn't that cool? The voice introducing the word to the world. And it's neat because when John the Baptist cried out, behold, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist wasn't doing this as a way of boasting, He didn't make any claim to greatness. In fact, the only thing that you can credit John the Baptist with is that he recognized the Messiah when no one else did. He recognized that Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And that really is the only thing that he's got going for him. You know, in church, and the reason why I share that story and why that's interesting is that in church, most of the time, when we talk about how we want to encourage the people in the church, encourage the saints, most of the time, our desire, whether we say it or not, is we want you to be like John the Baptist. We want you to go out and to be a voice proclaiming faith and truth and love and, and speak about Jesus at every opportunity that God might give to you. We want you to be like John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And that's a good thing, right? And make no mistake, I think that's really, really important. I'm just saying that, you know what? This summer, maybe consider a different posture, That in addition to imagine what it might be and to see ourselves as being like John the Baptist, ambassadors and voices crying out in the wilderness, maybe take this time this summer to also imagine what it would have been like to be in the crowd. As you're hearing John pointing out to this guy you've never seen before, an ordinary looking guy and saying, behold, the Lamb of God. And imagine the bewilderment that came when you heard that. It's like, really? I don't understand what he is saying. What is John saying about this Lamb of God? What's so special about this guy? Seeing Jesus all of a sudden become the center of attention. Imagine being in that crowd and saying, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why John's calling this Jesus guy Lamb of God. And all of a sudden, seeing Jesus getting baptized and seeing the heavens open of the voice of God coming out and saying, this is my, how do you say God? This is my son, right? Deep voice, powerful voice in whom I am well pleased. If you can imagine what that must have felt like. And then in the aftermath, to stare in wonder, to stare in awe at this guy you have never met, and yet you realize now is someone different from anyone you've ever known, and then decide in your heart, I am going to follow him. I want to get to know him and I want to follow him wherever he goes, not because, I'm, I'm, not because I have to, but because I can't help myself. If we would maybe have that posture a little bit too over the course of this summer as we make our focus knowing Jesus and allowing that knowing to drive what we do. So over the course of the next three weeks, Uh, We're going to finish out this first series, and this first series is going to be talking about an unexpected Jesus, and what that means is we're going to take a look at how Jesus chose to reveal his identity to us. That's what we're going to cover in the next three weeks, and then in the series after that, we're going to be focusing on Jesus' provocative words, words that he speaks that kind of gives us the, that were unexpected and in a way that were not was not anticipated in what they said about who Jesus is. And then finally, we're going to close out our last series with some of the incredible works of Jesus. And our goal, our hope, is that you will find this summer of Jesus inspiring, challenging, and the fruit of it having, uh, being us having a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me tackle this. If there are any, if not, then I will just.